are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, happy Tuesday. It's a Pop Culture Tuesday podcast here of the Steve Day Show on Westwood One. Powered by CRTV, no matter where you are, when you are. Listening to us on demand at your convenience. Thank you for carving out a little bit of your time that you can't ever get back. And devoting it and investing it in our show. That is a great honor. And we don't take it lightly. We absolutely try to reward your investment and hope in us with the most mediocre broadcast you could have possibly hoped for each and every day. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We just mentioned our show is powered by CRTV and we just concluded uh, wrapping up production for today's television show for CRTV. So as we like to do each day, let's give the audience a preview. Todd, what stood out? What do you want them to be looking forward to today on CRTV? Uh, fake news or not, uh, Steve takes on a former uh, Bush official who will now be running for Congress as a Democrat. And when you're listening to Steve today talk about him, just remember, he, he's not an exception. No, I he is more the examples. rule yeah. of the Republican Party, and it's why you need to understand if you still consider yourself a Republican, I'm not ta- Republican. I'm not talking about voting for a particular Republican, but if you still consider yourself a Republican, you are part of a gigantic scam. Aaron, you know, after today's show, I just. Can I just be real with you guys for, for a few seconds? I'm just, I'm ready to love on you guys and just just do life together, you know? <laughs> as long as, I mean, especially if doing life together means doing things that I particularly enjoy and I'm never challenged or frustrated by anything at all. Um, and I think our guest, I think it has something to do with the guest we had on today. R- really inspirational guy by the name of Kyle Mann. I don't want to say anything more. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just ready. I'm just, I'm just ready to do life. You know, just feel really good. I do, man. And, and you know, if like us, you're one of the cool kids, and you know, you're not religious, but you're spiritual, man. And yep. you know, it's it's not Jesus you got a problem with, but his followers, bro. You know, and um, you don't think you can trust something that has been rewritten and retranslated down through the centuries and no one knows really what the original source material is. You definitely want to watch today's show on CRTV. CRTV.com promo code DACE is how you can watch and it won't just give you a discounted subscription that gives you access to our show but all the shows here at CRTV including the great one Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Steven Crowder and more. Other programming. I think that's uh, what we go by here at CRTV. CRTV.com promo code DACE. 
Which brings us to today's podcast. It is a Pop Culture Tuesday. This is when we like to look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism on a Tuesday here on Westwood One. And I know there's a group of you, and I don't know how many of you there it is, but there's a throng of you tuning in today for our full breakdown of Avengers Infinity War. That's not going to happen today. And the reason why is I'm going to give Todd another week to see this movie before we spoil the whole thing. A Dacian dispensation. I am, God bless I am, you. I am granting one because there's no way for us to truly discuss it without spoiling it. You know, and and I really want to get, I want to make sure all three of us, it's not just, hey, I saw it and here's what I think and now you guys kind of react. I want to see particularly the worldview of the film. I want to see if you guys saw some of the same things that I saw. All right? So next week, full Avengers Infinity War Pop Culture Tuesday breakdown. No holds barred. Spoilers. We're looking at the worldview of the movie. Because the villain Thanos, what drives him, his mission, I think it's literally right out of our own culture. It's Pete Seeger, it's Thomas Malthus, Margaret Sanger. But I want to see if you guys see the same thing. And we'll break it all down next week. We are going to talk, though, about another movie. We are going to talk about a movie here today for Pop Culture Tuesday, but a different one. I finally, you know, we had the producer on when the movie first came out about a month ago. Finally got around to seeing the Chappaquiddick movie. So I'm guessing if you haven't seen Infinity War, I know you haven't seen this one yet, right, Todd? Correct. Okay. Now... This is a really good movie. I mean, it's really well done. I went with my wife, who is... This is like her amateur historian pet subject. Um, she wrote papers on it in high school and college. There's still like an entire shelf in our basement, uh, on our bookshelves. There's still like an entire shelf dedicated to World Chappaquiddick books. So, I mean, she, she knows her stuff where this is concerned, okay? She went into this movie from the from a vantage point of historical accuracy. Like when he uh, when Ted Kennedy call, picks up the phone and he doesn't call Sergeant Shriver, Maria Shriver's dad, but calls somebody else, she looks at me, that's not what happened, <laughs> okay? So, I mean, she's, she's looking at this for seamless continuity, and when I asked her what she thought after the movie, she says, it's really good, but it really made me mad. And I said, why? And she goes, because I think it made Ted Kennedy out to be sympathetic. Because one thing, now I don't think the movie made Ted Kennedy out to be sympathetic as much as provide a rationale for why he's as broken as he is and was. But I also don't know, like she, you know, she left out, uh, she pointed out that Mary Jo's panties were removed when they pulled her body up out of the water that's not specifically mentioned in the movie so she mentioned some other things that were facts that are not in the movie so given which way those facts lean that she knows I can see why an attempt to explain Ted Kennedy's motivations and the background of his brokenness I I can see why she takes that as making him out to be sympathetic because what you see in the movie is Ted Kennedy doesn't want to be Ted Kennedy. 
He's watched um, his oldest brother die in World War II, watched his next oldest brother get assassinated at Dealey Plaza, watched his next oldest brother get assassinated at, the, at a hotel room, hotel banquet hall in, uh, in Los Angeles. And he just wants to, you know, be a spoiled rich kid Knocking boots. The kids still say that today, or is it hooking up? That's your word for your era, right, Aaron? Uh, Hook up? Uh, no, Netflix and chill. Netflix and th- those are the euphemisms you guys yep. use. Mm-hmm. Okay. Netflix and chill. All right. So, I mean, Ted just wants to hook up with whatever is willing to say. I want to. I, I, I hooked up with a Kennedy. Ted just wants to be a playboy. He has no interest in inheriting this mantle. But his dad, who's on his last legs, Joe Senior is a ruthless patriarch that essentially is depicted as driving his sons to the to extremes in order to live out his 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 ambitions vicariously through them to the point of extremes dysfunction self-medicating liquor women and in the cases of a couple of his all of his three other sons death their own deaths and now Kennedy, Ted, who was considered the fat one growing up, not as smart, not as talented as his brothers, all of the burden of these family expectations have now all fallen upon him. And what you see, though, in this film beyond that, because my wife went in this looking for historical accuracy. I work full time in politics, so I saw something totally different. What I saw in this movie is our origin story. Right now, we're getting all kinds of origin stories these days with all the superhero movies, right? Okay. So, how many times have we seen Thomas and Martha Wayne killed in Crime Alley? Laura and Laura, Laura and Jor-El sending off their only begotten son from a di- from a doomed planet, from a dying civilization in a craft to come to earth to be an altruistic, secular, messianic figure. Um, You know, the Flash struck by lightning in his crime lab. That's a popular show right now on the CW. It's their highest rated show. We're getting all these origin stories. Dr. Stephen Strange was in an accident, couldn't be the world-class surgeon he used to be, and he went searching for meaning and became essentially this high priest of the occult. Spider-Man bitten by a radioactive spider. We're getting all these origin stories nowadays. What you see in Chappaquiddick is the origin story of modern American politics. Where did gaslighting, where did crisis management, where did media manipulation, where did journalism and sensationalism, all of the things that now, tribalism, where we do man on the street, what do you think? And there's like, the common man has almost no facts to make their argument at all. Just all emotion based on what you think of the individual's politics, not really on what is right or wrong. In 2018, what do we call that, guys? Uh, Tuesday? Yeah. Right? That's our every day now. So the world we all live in now. And we want to blame social media and cable news. It's it's amplified all those things. It's made it worse than it than it was. But it's not the origin story. The origin story is right here. And I don't know if the filmmakers intended um, 
because I, I had you send because we had the producer on, uh, on about a month ago when the movie came out here and I had yep. you send what we're talking about I wrote about this for Conservative Review yep. if you hear back from them I want to know if you get any feedback okay uh, all I heard was yes I'll pass that along to him but nothing specifically because I want I do want to know because when, when we interviewed him I hadn't seen the movie yet so I couldn't ask this question I'm, I'm curious if they intended to show the mustard seeds of what we call every day in American politics now. So let me set the scene here. Chappaquiddick, you could argue, post-World War II was the most formative pol- domestic political event in America more so than Watergate, more so than the Reagan Revolution. Because it could be argued, if this never happens, those other things never happen. So let's set the scene. It's July 1969. Ted Kennedy is going uh, to Martha's Vineyard for a weekend vacation, and he's getting together with members of his and his older brother Bobby's staff. It's been about a year since Bobby was killed. And they're all getting together for a reunion, and, they're, and they scheduled it also around the lunar landing. Because whose inspiration was the lunar landing? John. John Kennedy. We're to send a man to the moon by the end of this, century, by the end of this decade. Right? End of the decade, and Neil Armstrong is, and is about to land on the moon. And so they're all getting together for a weekend of partying, hooking up, drinking, celebrating. It's a reunion. And one of Bobby's loyal foot soldiers is a young, beautiful young woman named Mary Jo Kopechny from a devout Catholic family. And she's one of several young women that are there and other staffers. Joe Gargan is Ted Kennedy's fixer. It's a cousin that the family adopted to essentially be a fifth brother. And his job, as charged by Joe Sr., Joe Gargan's job, their entire lives as they grew up together, was essentially to save Ted K- Teddy from himself. He was his fixer. He was his Michael Cohen, I guess is what we would call him. Teddy gets enamored with this woman, Mary Jo, tries to convince her to, to come back into politics. She left after Bobby's death. It really crushed her. He's getting set to challenge Nixon for the presidency in 1972. Not because he wants to, because his daddy demands it. He has to. He's a Kennedy. It's expected. And the Democratic Party is open doors for another Kennedy coronation. All of the party is unified, including the people that were burning down their 68 convention in Chicago. Even the new Marxists won't challenge a Kennedy. So this is their unifying figure. Events of exactly what happened. Were they in a relationship? Did they have sex? These are all debated points of of fact. And so they're left out in the film. Here's what we do know. Kennedy is drunk. He's not used to driving the streets of Chappaquiddick Island. He turns the wrong way trying to get back on the ferry to go back across the island to where the cottage and the rest of their group is at. He turns the wrong way, can't see straight, and goes over a bridge. Now, I want you to understand, when you think of going over a bridge, 
you're thinking goodbye, cruel world. You know what I'm saying? It's George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life plunging to his death. This is a, 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 a wooden bridge over a creek. Okay? It's not even a river, guys. It's a creek. So when he goes through the barricade and the car flips over, you see half the car above ground because it's not a raging river. It's not a lake. It's a creek. It's a glorified creek. Somehow he's able to get out. Mary Jo Kopechny is trapped on the, in the passenger side. It's debatable whether he actually tried to go underwater and rescue her or not. But what ends up happening is Mary Jo Kopechny did not actually drown. That's a common misconception because people think a car went through a barricade on a bridge and they, were, they went underwater and she sunk. No. What happened is he left her down there overnight. She was actually struggling in an air pocket to stay alive, waiting for someone to rescue her. If he had reported the incident immediately to the police, they could have, even in 1969 at Martha's Vineyard, in a couple of hours, when she still had oxygen left, rescued her, probably some minor scrapes, bumps, and bruises, and Mary Jo Kopechny lives out the rest of her days. Except he didn't do that. He walks all the way back to the cottage. This is not in a five-minute jaunt. Then he goes and he gets his fixer cousin, Joe Gargan, and the other member of their entourage, who's a U.S. attorney. A U.S. attorney. They go, they go back to the bridge. They jump into the creek trying to see if they can get Mary Jo Kopechny out of there. They can't. They tell Ted, you've got to report this right away. Or we will. Ted says, I'm on it. I'll report it. He then goes back into town. Goes to his hotel room. Takes a bath. Goes to bed. Gets up in the next morning and goes to the hotel room restaurant for breakfast because he meets some of his uh, rich buddies there who recognize him. Leaving her there, trapped in this car, she asphyxiated to death. She didn't drown. She ran out of oxygen. Drowning would have actually been less suffering, more humane. Next morning, a guy's out fishing with his son. They're over the bridge, and they see this car turned over. They call police right away. Police come out, bring out a diver. The diver's like, you know, she's been down there for well over 12 hours. If someone would have contacted us immediately, I'd have had her out of there two hours tops. You know, she didn't drown. She ran out of air. That was the immediate judgment of the coroner on the scene. And the license plates, everything are still on the vehicle. So they run the plates and guess who they find out they're registered to? Whom they frequently refer to in the movie as, quote, the senator. Because he's royalty and you're not. So now that the police have discovered the car before Kennedy has reported the incident... He finally decides he's going to report the incident. 
He calls his father afterwards, who can barely speak. He's on his deathbed. And he screams, alibi. And come up with a story that it wasn't you. Kennedy's conscience says, I can't do that. And then Kennedy's conscience says, or wrestles with whether to say she was driving the car or not. But then he realizes, you know what? They already pulled her out of the pastor seat, so I can't lie about that. So he owns up to the fact he had too much to drink and he was driving the car. Chief of police comes back to his headquarters. Kennedy is waiting there in his office. And they literally game plan together how to present this in the most positive light to Kennedy. Because the police chief doesn't want to, quote, do damage to, quote, the senator. So, origin story number one political celebrity held to a different standard than everybody else is even to the point that law enforcement is now looking the other way the chief of police allows Ted Kennedy and his buddy who's the US attorney to craft the police department's statement including Kennedy's comments and the police chief literally just goes out there and reads verbatim the statement handed to him by Ted Kennedy and the U.S. Attorney. Because again, their number one concern is that this doesn't look bad for, quote, the senator. One of Mary Jo's friends, upon hearing about this, said, well, you know, it's a tragedy, but the senator stands for so many of the right things, means so much. The country needs him and his family's leadership. So basically sucks to be Mary Jo Kopechny. Seat at the table. The U.S. attorney literally risks disbarment, violating how many ethics laws by covering for Ted Kennedy in this case. Again, seat at the table. Joe Kennedy Sr.'s old political buddies get together at Hyannisport. That's the Kennedy compound, right? Is that what it's called? Kenny Bunkport's the Bushes, Hyannis right. Sports, the Kennedys, right. right? I think so. So Joe Sr. sends that signal out, and here come the old original Kennedy family cronies, a crisis management team, to manipulate media. Who are the friendly reporters we have? They try to pit different reporters at the New York Times against each other. They're looking for people in the media that'll peddle their narrative who are supportive of the family. Any of this sound familiar? The Kopechnies are, are depicted as if they are proud that their daughter died in the noble service of the Kennedys. Like, they take the Kennedy side. They don't hold it against Ted that he didn't call the cops for 12 hours. None, none of that. They, they seem, I mean, they're, they're mourning their daughter's loss, but it's, it, was, it was a noble end, you know? Like she was a soldier dying in a cause she believed in. Tribalism. And, and through all of this, then Kennedy decides he's tired of the criticism he's getting. He's going to play, he plays the victim, shows up with fake neck, neck braces, fake, uh, fake sympathy for Mary Jo. He drags his wife that he's cheated on a million times out of mothballs. To go, to go with him to Mary Jo's funeral because the media is there and it would look bad if he showed up on his own. 
And as they're riding in the limo on the way to Mary Jo's funeral with his fake neck brace on, Ted looks to his wife and says, I can't thank you enough for doing this for the family. She looks right at him and says, go F yourself. I'm only doing this because I have to. There's a plea bargain. The person who investigates the case, the special master, is a longtime family friend. And essentially, Kennedy pleads down to leaving the scene of an accident without reporting it. He's given two months in jail, but it's a suspended sentence because, again, we can't bother, quote, the senator. And then he gives this national address. Now, Nixon's checker speech is considered by most political scientists the first real gaslighting of modern American politics. What do I mean by gaslighting? The idea of throwing out red hair, a red herring or demagoguing a story to such an extreme that you change what the story's really about in the first place or you distract people to a totally different story from the one that is disparaging of you. That's what we mean by it, okay? And Nixon's checker speech where his dog was named Checkers and he essentially, he had to be a crook because, you know, his dog's just so cute. And his dog with him, I mean, or was it the cat? I can't remember. But but Nixon's checker speech is foreshadowing of what is to come in a Nixon administration. It's considered by many modern political scientists America's first gaslighting of modern American media. What Kennedy does in this national address is take Nixon's checker speech, man, and essentially throw in a little OJ if I did it. It's remember when Bill Clinton gave his last speech on the Starr investigation and he said it's nobody's business but ours. Where he just doubled down, tripled down. No accountability at all. Remember that? Yeah. That's what Ted Kennedy does here. He just gaslights everybody. Makes himself out to be the victim. And then at the end, he cynically leaves his fate up to the voters. You decide if I've not yet suffered enough, and I will respect the will of the people of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts who think that I tiptoe through the tulips and my farts don't stink. So much of what happens in this movie is our every day. And it ends with old file footage of an NBC News report going on the street adding, asking people in Massachusetts what they think of Kennedy's speech. And even though you see beehive haircuts and miniskirts and uh, long sideburns and bell bottoms, if you closed your eyes and you didn't see the fact that this is news archival footage from 1969 and you just closed your eyes and you listened, you'd think you're watching any cable news network in America right now. The answers are all the same. All the same. If you're a Republican, he hated his, 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 his politics, you think he's guilty in getting away with murder. And if you're a Democrat or some starstruck soccer mom who just wants to touch the hem of his garment because he's a Kennedy, don't you know, then he just can do no wrong and you feel really bad that he's suffered all this time. Is there any regard for justice for Mary Jo Kopechny on any level at all? No. It's, it's like the Roy Moore story. It's almost like it doesn't even matter whether you think he's guilty of what he was accused of or not. Nobody really cares. 
because there's been no attempt to get justice for the women, for any of his accusers, since five minutes after Doug Jones was declared the winner by the Associated Press. Have, have you seen any efforts to get justice for those women at all, Todd? Because you were very skeptical of, of the judge by the time we got to the end, right? You're like, I wouldn't vote for him. I don't buy his, I don't buy his explanation. Right. So I, I asked you as somebody who, who, at the end, had kind of been like, yeah, I'm not in on this. Have you seen any efforts to get any justice for any of the Lee Korfman or any of these women? To my knowledge, no. Any follow-ups? You know, the Washington Post reporters just got a Pulitzer last week for their reporting on this. Right. Did they go back and say, a year, you know, six months later, how are these women recovering? Have they have they found peace? Any, anything? Nothing? Seen not a thing, man. In fact, I did just hear their names in the news again recently. I don't know if you saw this or not. Because Judge Roy yeah. Moore just filed a defamation lawsuit against all four of them in Alabama court yesterday. I saw that this morning. That was the first time I'd heard their names since last no, last December in the special election. Hadn't heard their names since. It was like the Washington Post never even ran those stories. Because just like with the Ted Kennedy, Kennedy might have gotten a raw deal. Who knows? I don't know. I doubt that he did. But the point is, justice is not a consideration on any level here. All that matters is political tribalism. All is tribalism. Tribalism is all. And if this never happens, if Kennedy never gets in that car and drives her off a bridge, here's what also never happens. George McGovern is never nominated as an out of a Timothy Leary you know, moron communist sympathizer who names a VP nominee who admits to electric shock treatments, okay, that and gets poleaxed by Nixon. That never happens. Because the Democrats have their unifying candidate. They have the next line of royalty in a Kennedy. Nixon goes from maybe from one of the what was at the time one of the largest blowouts in American presidential election history. He may not even get reelected. And if Nixon doesn't get reelected, guess what? Watergate, no one cares. No one's winning any Pulitzers following up on a break-in at the Democratic National Committee because the Democrats are in charge. It's not, it's not nearly the story as it would have been if it didn't help garner uh, a Republican the presidency. And so if Kennedy's president in 1972, guess who's not president in 1976? Jimmy Carter's not. And then, you know, Ronald Reagan, I think, was already the oldest man ever to win a first term to the presidency by the time we got to 1980. And that's with all these favorable circumstances leading up to 1980. If we've, if we've got a Pax Romana with the, with the Democrats and, the, and Kennedy's Camelots all through the 1970s, what do you think the odds are America does a stark turn and goes to the Reagan revolution in the 1980s? In fact... How much of an argument, if, if, if we're just all still acting like it's still Camelot all over again, are we having arguments about top marginal tax rates? And if we don't have Carter's economy and the misery index and his Malay speech, do people have that much of a zeal to hear that government's not their answer, but the problem? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Everything we've, everything we've inherited, if you're my generation or younger, everything politically you inherited might have been a whole different if Kennedy never drives her off that, off that bridge. It only changed everything. And it was the origin of media spin, celebrity politicians, gaslighting, tribalism, everything we see today, this movie, gentlemen, shows this is 
this is the genesis of it right here. Final thoughts, Todd, what do you think? Uh, well, I wanted to see this movie even before your analysis. I only want to see it all the more now. Um, it it's, it's, <laughs> reminds me of how bad Republicans have been at this game since, at the very least, uh, 1969 on some level. You, you already ma- mentioned uh, the Reagan Revolution. But after all this, Ted Kennedy was known as the Lion of the Senate. And he spent, uh, my, my clearest memory of him is, is the constant moralizing that that man did and sending Republicans scared into a corner. This guy who's uh, got murder and adultery on his rap sheet was called the Lion of the Senate. Which is why I said, if this never happens, I don't know that Nixon gets a second term. If he was this potent of a political force when he's this damaged, what kind of political force would he have been if this never occurred? When we, so when we're we're talking about the Bible and we're talking about powers and principalities and things like that, I mean, th- this this should be dead man walking, but n- not only it, it's not that th- there's a force of nature quality uh, to this thing, whereas you know, the the very forget for a second you don't know the political tribe he's a part of. Ted Kennedy is how Republican males have been and continue to be painted. You know, hate women, accountable to nobody, uh, Richie Rich, don't care. And yet he was the lion of the, quote, party of the people. Yeah. Uh, That's why I say this is where it all began, right here. Man, nothing matters. It hasn't mattered. I know that's become popular since the 2016 cycle. What Chappaquiddick shows you is nothing has really mattered for a lot longer than that. Meaning we didn't we didn't get here from Hillary Clinton and Benny Hinn's wardrobe to uh, a guy that's essentially made being a, a form of a con man into a legit profession being our final two candidates for president. We didn't just go from George Washington and Abraham Lincoln to that election, guys. You know what I'm saying? This has been this has been a devolution that has gone on far longer than that. Well, uh, setting aside the the, the father papa uh, mania aside, you, you are describing uh, a version. If people are willing to go to that well, and again, even the parents, uh, Kopechny's parents, you know, in, in the service of the Kennedys and the cause, you know, you're describing an early better than Hillary too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's an adulterer and a murderer I mean, and all that. Mary but Jones, yeah, we're not going to vote for Nixon. Ma- Mary Joe's best friend literally comes up to Ted at the funeral when he's being mocked for the, gaslighting the media with this fake neck brace and all, and all but says to him, you're God's anointed. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, that's exactly what this movie is saying, I should say. What do you think, Aaron? Your final thoughts. In a strange way, this is somewhat... Uh, comforting because of everything that you just pointed out namely that it's not been this way just for the last two years or last three years what we see every day 
The new forms of communication and media make it easier to disseminate the suck. It's been like that for decades now. So it is, it is strangely comforting that, that the, we, we at least have some idea that our future is not set in stone. We had no idea what was going on after the 2016 election we have no idea what it's going to be like next year or four years from now Mm -hmm. because after the kennedys like you pointed out there was the reagan revolution we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what's going to happen that will make people more receptive to a conservative message in the united states we don't know what's going to happen to make people more receptive to the idea of getting right with their creator it is, it is strangely uh, reassuring, I guess is, is maybe the better term, that we're not the ones in control. We didn't start the fire? We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's... Um, it is... Yeah, no, it, it is strangely reassuring. Um, because then, then we, have, we have nothing left but God's sovereignty. Not, not to make this a cosmic thing, but it is... It is um, it is strangely reassuring this whole story. It's strangely reassuring to know we've been screwed up a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> exactly. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you haven't done so yet, please click subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher, however you listen to us. Uh, The more of you that do that, the more of you that end up doing that. And thank you to all of you that have already subscribed and left us a positive review. Those help as well. If you've not yet done so and have a few extra minutes to do it, we would greatly appreciate that too. For Todd, for Aaron, I'm Steve. John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.